Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, a beautiful afternoon for a good game of football now, and it looks as though we have the makings of it. Barnes has come in. Welcome back to the Watford Buzz podcast. Just like the championship, we took an international break as well. Maybe slightly too long, but we're here now. My name is Matt Messiano and I'm joined by Jordan Weimer and Tom Budell. Uh, as we always, guys, let's start just by finding out how we all are. How, how was your international break, uh, Jordan? International breaks are weird. I feel like it just there's a time warp where it doesn't feel right at all and it's, it's good to be back. So then back with a, a quick flurry of two games. So yeah, lots to talk about. Looking forward to it though. Nice. Tom, did you watch any international football at all? Uh, funnily enough, I did actually. I went to the England game against North Macedonia. That's how tuned in I was. I totally forgot who it was against. And then... No, that's wrong. Sorry, that was in Macedonia. I saw England labour to a win against somebody at Wembley. I was going to say that's commitment, Tom. Yeah, no, no, no. The guy I went with went to Macedonia with his wife. I watched some of the Macedonia game, which was just... Oof. I don't love international football, I must admit. Um, yeah, clearly. You don't know what you've yeah. been watching. Yeah. Mate, honestly, it's so bad. I, this is a former colleague, friend of mine, Dave. He's a great guy, and he reg- he goes to every England game, him and his wife, and a good mate of his... But because of that, they have to go. Otherwise, they lose their kind of priority. And so I regularly get tickets from him. And I couldn't tell you the, the games I've been to, the teams I've seen, because I just can't remember. I usually turn up and go, so is this a friendly or a qualifier? That's my attitude. All my commitment is with Watford. <laughs> well, they don't do friendlies now, do they? It's, if it's not a qualifier, it's a national... What is it called? Is it National League or... Nations League. Nations yeah, League. That's that's it. It. Yeah. Every game is mm. such a commitment. Like, it's such a, that's such an unfathomable commitment to me. Really every, every England game in particular is, is insane. Anyway, credit to him and his wife and his friend. Third we- third wheeling to North Macedonia is not on the top of my list either, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah. um, <laughs> some players had a good international uh, experience, even if you guys didn't. Uh, Ishmael Kone, for one, but we'll talk about him more later. Um, let's start by 
just mentioning how absolutely crazy that game was yesterday. Uh, in, in the little notes you've got for us here, Tom, you've put in bonkers, and I think that's bang on, to be honest, because we, it, it it could have been a completely different chat had things changed in a different way, but it, it played out the way it did, and I think we're probably all relatively happy, if not, you know, like, wondering what exactly took place. But, yeah, what, what's your uh, what's your, what's your your main thoughts about, about Norwich? Yeah, I just... It could have been very different, couldn't it? After 12 minutes, you thought, oh, God, I've seen this game before. Set-piece goal, screamer out of nothing where we've kind of created it for them. Um, and we just couldn't get a foothold in the game at all. And then suddenly, it was like a switch flicks. I don't know if it was as simple as Huang going off and Ashley Barnes coming on, who I fully expected to do a number on us and, and score and just generally shithouse his way through the rest of the game. Um, David Wagner said afterwards that taking Huang off surprised them, his own players. Um, and it's kind of hard to separate the two because I, I think from that moment on the momentum shifted a little bit and we got back into it but yeah a hugely important win because we've got this kind of pretty horrific run of fixtures now haven't we and back-to-back losses after that six unbeaten suddenly that it doesn't take much to if it all feels very fragile it doesn't take much for the mood to to change entirely and and you suspect it would have if we hadn't have turned that one around yeah i mean i think there's probably not too much more to add than what tom just said there in terms of overall you know it was uh what i will say is it was it felt had that feeling of the last norwich game where it's kind of real just just a quick flurry of goals and just like suddenly you're in a, such a, a difficult position but uh, on the other hand I think that was the worst Norwich team I've, I've seen in a long time um, it, the whole Wagner experiment at Norwich always seemed destined to look like this and it, it's honestly shocking that they they kind of went in this direction because I thought they were awful last night uh, not to take away from the fact we were able to come back because obviously they, you know, they started relatively positively but they were really is that the worst Norwich team we've seen for a, a long time at Vicarage Road? It's got to be up there isn't it? Certainly f- yeah certainly felt it I mean last time they came they they knocked us on our ass, yeah. didn't they? The um... oh no hang was that the no they came down with us didn't they? I was just trying to remember the game where Ranieri got sacked we lost 3-0 and, and Josh Sargent scored the greatest goal that's ever been seen yeah yeah, yeah. that was too yeah, yeah that was pretty it's, miserable yeah. um just, just, I just, I just looked. I just looked. In, just but yes, looked a I week. Just, I, I, maybe it's because I, I kind of grew up not far from Norwich for a long time, so I like quite a few Norwich friends, that are, uh, fans, that are friends. But I mean, I normally associate them with with such a different style of football, and they just really looked. They looked like a, a team that had a, a defensive partnership with Danny Bath and Shane Duffy. That was kind of my main takeaway from it. But um, hmm. yeah, you know, it was, it was it was a tough one, and as Tom said as well, you know, and I think you said on Twitter too that that's a game that we we could have easily lost um, and never would have come back into on, on many occasions so the fact that we're able to turn it around is obviously I mean apart from the kind of obvious of it being a positive there's there's at least some character being shown and uh, a little bit of entertainment for the fans too yeah we did have to turn it around though and that was because we started very poorly the first 12 minutes I think several Watford fans were considering going home early it was it was that bad to start mm. with yeah well I mean it was and that, that's, hmm. actually there's one thing in terms of bringing up that Leicester game real quick before we get onto that goal obviously one of the big changes was was Dan Backman out, Ben Hamer in. Should we, mm. should we speak on that real quick? If we get too far yeah, away. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So I guess initial so thoughts on wh- then. On which point? What, what, what do we make of the Backman situation? Because that was one of the more 
controversial and the bigger talking points of that Leicester game aside from the result was the uh, the situation revolving around Dan Backman which I feel like we talk about every single week as Dan Backman Dan Dan Backman segment there's always something oh, to be said isn't there um, Dan Backman what a week it's sensational his stock has never been lower after Saturday and yet his stock has never been higher after Tuesday because the alternative has you know kind of had a bit of a hold my beer moment hasn't he you know um, I think you have to separate the two things, right? I, I think Daniel Backman probably makes saves that, in terms of discipline and goalkeeping, if we park the discipline for a moment, I will come back to it because it's obviously a very important part of this debate. If you look at the goalkeeping, I think he makes saves that maybe he wouldn't be expected to make, shouldn't make, and then he makes lets in goals that he should be expected to save. But I don't think Ben Hamer has ever covered himself in glory when he's come in and, and last night was the, the kind of pits of that was the low point of that obviously the the goal that um, I'm realising I'm now going off on a Ben Hamer tangent when I said I talk about um, when I said I talk about Backman the, the, the big one is obviously the Huang goal exactly that Porteous gives the ball away for but I still think Ben Hamer has to do better in terms of Backman as I say I think he he walks back into that team whether or not he walks back into the team as captain or not is another matter altogether and and obviously Ishmael has, has said that there might have to be a discussion there I will put my hands up now because I think I have to and say I spoke about and wrote about the situation when he was made captain in the summer I didn't see an issue with it but I think I've been proven spectacularly and wholly wrong um, I still think goalkeepers can be captains I still think it's important to have more leaders in the team than one kind of outstanding captain if he is going to put us in a situation where he's picking up stupid bookings and gets suspended picking up stupid bookings and getting sent off then purely because of his propensity for getting in the face of the officials and losing his call and whatnot then that's a problem um you know it's it's a funny one isn't it on one hand he's quite an unpopular bloke and i think most people would like to see him replaced but on the other hand as i just said we kind of need him in the team because the 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 deputy is 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 certainly no better and probably considerably weaker so for the time being while we're stuck with him which I think we probably are because they've given him this contract and and whatnot I think he's still in a fairly strong position he needs to be available and um, I I think we're kind of we're making a rod for our own back by giving him the armband and giving him the mandate to go and be the one that that speaks to the officials so I'm quite prepared to say that I think I got got this one wrong what do do you make of the um of the comments from Ismail saying about the or regarding the it was maybe a potential issue with the fact that he's a goalkeeper rather than any of his conduct more the fact that he has to kind of run up to the halfway line to to have a, a conversation with the referee I think it was clever I think that was the I think that was the the delicate way of handling it, right? I think I think we've all seen over the last couple of years, and we can pick the games out um, explicitly. Huddersfield being one of them, and this being another one. We've seen you know these games where he just kind of um, loses his mind, but he would do that regardless of whether he's captain. But it's the kind of putting ourselves in the situation to make that an issue that he is the one that has the opportunity and, and, and mandate to go and speak to the officials I thought something else that was interesting that came out of that those quotes from Ismail was that we kind of, and I didn't know this was the case but we kind of nominate a couple of players that can speak to the officials it doesn't have to necessarily be 
the captain you just think well that's the workaround but you know clearly Batman and, and we want to see players right that care and, and give their all but I think there's a controlled and, and sensible and smart way to do that and, and he has shown more than once now that he lets his emotions get the better of him um, so yeah I think I think it's been handled quite delicately but he also has to get it right because you can't lose the player can you and, and kind of lose respect and, and lose face in all of this I would I would say if it's gonna, if there's gonna be a change, it needs to be the right change rather than change for change's sake. Can I just insert mm. question here? Ishmael made back when the captain, right? He wasn't captain yeah. before Ishmael came in. I just want to yeah, clarify that. Correct. That was that was Ishmael's decision. So I mean, he knows back when plays in goal, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like he like he he knew this would be an issue. Surely, surely he knew this would be an issue. I think it's a soft excuse to to try and justify the potential change in mind I think you know there's a big difference between running up from your goal to the halfway line to speak to the referee and have a conversation and between that and you know running up to the halfway line with your hands stretched out shouting in the in the ref's face which is you know kind of what we see more often than not with back when he's not the most controlled in his communication with the referees as he's you know comes across as a bit whiny at times no I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Ben Foster was made captain a few times during his tenure with us and I don't remember many people getting particularly angry with him no I mean it's how you can touch yourself isn't it and there's been lots there's been a, there's a, there's a long history I mean I understand I think it's a, it is a genuine factor I think it is a factor in terms of you know are you able to have that consistent communication but there's a long history of successful um, captains as goalkeepers and not just that it, you can you can debate the success of them but at least not at least there's a lot of goalkeepers that have been captain and not been sent off. Um, I know he wasn't straight sent off or anything, but getting booked for descent as a goalkeeper is always a risk because you know that at any point there could be an opportunity where you are going to have to take a yellow. Um, so, you know, same as a, same as a centre-back, you, you, you avoid those yellows at all costs, especially the petty ones are kind of extra painful. So, you know, you, you expect more and it's, it, it's, it's something that hasn't really... I think when we talked about him being captain, one of the hopes was he'd be one of those players that you elevate their performance by giving them that responsibility. You elevate the kind of the way they... they they carry themselves and and they they kind of grow into that captaincy but you know so far it kind of just feels like we've almost given him more of a platform to continue his kind of slightly naive immature behavior in some ways not i don't want to just sound like i'm trying to bash back again but it's just a it's just a little frustrating to watch what did you make of hamer's performance then as a, as a whole himself as i said kind of many favors particularly as otherwise there weren't that many saves to make were there there was one at the kind of near post in the second and half where it kind of was shot straight at him and he saved it um, he kind of had a bit of a flap a, a bit of a poor punch towards the end I think um, kind of fairly late on wasn't there Hamer punch and has to push over the half volley from um, their number seven you know but you can't get away from the fact I actually thought the first goal he might have done better we can discuss that in a moment but you know certainly the second one although he's stitched up because I'm in chronic by Porteous and he's already off his line it is straight down his throat and I appreciate the ball's moving and it's going at some speed and what have you but I think for argument's sake Backman probably pushes that one over the bar I just I just can't see him letting that one in Um, and the first one again he's not helped by the fact there are eight men in the box none of whom managed to get anywhere near uh, Danny Bart and three Norwich players are surrounding him but he just he looks like he doesn't really either get his feet right or something to give himself the best chance to react you know it's almost it almost looks a bit delayed it almost looks a bit late and 
Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's tricky. I don't want to... I'm, I'm clearly not the best judge of goalkeepers because I've been team backman um, until this point and uh, well, the whole world's kind of saying otherwise. But yeah, I, di- I didn't think it was a good game from Hamer and I felt both goals were preventable. Yeah, I think the goal is fair. You know, it was. I think it was a really good strike, and it was it was taken kind of a bit unexpectedly. So he was kind of a little bit more advanced in his line. But I think you know you could definitely argue he should have done better. I think that's fair, um, and, and perhaps probably Backman would have done. I think I think after the goals, I thought he was fine. He made a couple of good saves in the box. Um, I thought he was fine after that. He made a couple of good claims too. I, I think it was relatively steady, but you know, I think most people will be looking at that goal which I think is, is is still justified you know he's not been kind of, I think every performance he's really had there's been some error that's that's been a little bit frustrating um, even if the rest of the game has been fairly solid um, but yeah no I guess that's kind of really where we are with, with Heyman it's not unexpected that generally the backup goalkeeper is not as good as a, as a starter so you know we've got to be looking at that position group um, at the starting position and, and you're not really expecting Heyman to play that much but you know that plays into what we're talking about um, with, with Dan Backman he needs to be available as much as possible that's fair. Um, I, I think it's right of you to highlight the fact that he had a reasonably good second mm-hmm. half, though, Jordan, because I, I I think he probably saved us a bit at the end there yeah. as well. Uh, it could have easily been a draw, that game. I'm trying but, to think uh, the shop. There was one at the near post where he was kind of down on his knee and his arm kind of flicked up to make a save at the near post. Do you remember that one in the second half? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah, he, he he made some key saves in the second half and he will get um, labelled as, as being poor just because of that uh, that goal that he conceded, which I think, to be look, to be fair, as a goalkeeper, uh, when I'm faced with that kind of a shot and it's swerving and I don't know, I don't like him. I don't like him. And yes, you can say uh, Backman probably would have saved that because shot stopping is his forte. That's what he's good at from long range. Uh, he's very, very good. Uh, and you know some goalkeepers won't be as good as that and and yeah maybe he uh, he made a mistake there but he did other good things in the game so I think it's right to point those out as well on the whole though I think we agree Backman is a better keeper um, we just need him to be a bit more level headed calmer and, and maybe have the uh, the duties of the captain not necessarily the captaincy itself just removed from him so he doesn't have to worry about getting involved in those kinds of decisions and and you can focus on just controlling his back four really or, or you know that kind of a thing for sure and in terms so i mean in terms of kind of obviously talk about goalkeeper but obviously i think that one of the big talking points is instantly going to be from this this Norwich game set pieces back to haunt us again not really not really a hamer issue here necessarily but um yeah what's the thought on the set piece another another awful one to to concede it really felt like a really felt like it took the wind out of us in uh, as well at that point yeah it did um I, they flashed up yeah. a good stat on sky fairly shortly after it said we've now conceded nine set piece goals this season uh, which is the worst in the league not a huge surprise in and of itself and that 41 percent of the goals we've conceded are came from set pieces uh which again is the worst in the league so it's, it's a problem um you look at that the way they kind of line up as I said there's eight men in the six yard box and someone still gets free uh, Danny Bart you know big good in the air has a history of being decent from set a decent threat from set pieces it's pretty pretty poor from our um, from our perspective um, it's I just I refuse to believe that it isn't something that can't be improved upon by just drilling the players every training session on it 
until it is eradicated. I just can't believe that that's something you can't practice. You know, practice makes perfect, and I just can't believe that's something that you can't make perfect, or at least a lot, lot better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt, are you thinking the same? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you, you, you kind of spelt it out there, Tom. Yeah, it, it's something that hopefully can be improved going forward with just more time working on it. Um, not just defending set pieces either, but, you know, when we, when we have set pieces, it, it, I don't feel like we're often utilising them to the best of their ability. How many goals have we scored from set pieces this season? Yeah, and it, it's a problem, isn't it? And, you know, I think it, it was it was probably one of the best parts of, of Norwich's game last night, the fact they did identify that. You know, it's a, it's a way to attack a, a zonal system is by kind of disrupting the zones that they had. And I just look at it now, I think there's... Including us, obviously, I think there's 17 players in the six-yard box when the ball comes in. Um, it makes it very difficult to defend zonally when your zones get compressed, and it, it creates an extra level of confusion um, and chaos there. And again, we didn't react. You no, know, it's this. It seems to be a kind of a, a, a cycle we, we consistently find ourselves in where you see that kind of level of flat-footed defending and you know we just, we just don't really look like we know we know how to answer it on the pitch and it has to be identified and it has to be worked on because you know, this, this is a coaching problem the players obviously have a responsibility but you can coach around this we can all see the weakness we can all see the frailty and clearly opponents can too you know it doesn't take um, doesn't take much to look at Watford and think okay this is a, a team we can expose with um, with good delivery and, and, and there's a little bit of work to, to try and exploit some really bad defending so yeah yet again we find ourselves punished and you know we, we won this game 3-2 in the end but the, these situations are different make, difference makers for us and we, we have to eradicate it or at least minimise it because it's, it's 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 way below the standard required at this point also sorry one last thing on the set piece interesting 17 players in the box not, no one on the post which is also interesting I thought Tom you mentioned earlier that uh, Porteous was uh, responsible or at least partly responsible for the second goal um, it was a, a poor pass that, and it felt in that particularly in that first 12 minute period we were just giving the ball away far too often and that would probably have stopped the goal going in given it was in the corner wouldn't it or giving you a considerably better chance at least um, yeah regards Porteous I think we should be giving that serious consideration now that um that kind of number six position has been filled effectively by Jake Livermore and, and Sierra Alta's back to being a centre-half. Uh, Hoop seems to be playing fairly well at the moment, so I think, yeah, I would be tempted to stick Sierra Alta in there for Porteous. He's just making, yeah, errors of judgment. The passing, as you said early on, for everybody was poor. Even Livermore had one, and he's usually quite tidy in possession. We just seem to be giving it away constantly. Um, he's just... He's rash, he's brash, he tears out out of the defensive line to do make do things that he doesn't need to do, gets dragged into things that he doesn't need to, leave space in behind. I I still think he's a good player there, right? He was good last season. He was good last season. He tailed off a bit, but he was good for the majority of those sort of fifteen or twenty games that he played when we came in. Um but I would be I would be sorely tempted, yeah, now now that Sierra Alta's fit. And I still think it's an area where we should be looking to do something in, in January because um I think we're I think we're thin there when you consider that the next man up is after those three is, is Matty Pollock who's looked kind of considerably short of um, the level and, and to be honest with you, he's still quite young and and still hasn't even played in League One has he kind of had a loan spell in League Two where he did very well um, had a loan spell in in Scotland where he did very well but hasn't you know there's kind of skipped a level there really so I would be I would be tempted to do something there not as a priority necessarily but if there is the budget yeah 
I mean, he came on at the end, at the end of the game, didn't he, Matty Pollock? He didn't get too much time, but at least he's no. still, you know, hanging around the team. But you're right, he needs more more minutes. And I don't know. I mean, is the Scottish Premiership not akin to League One? You don't think so? No, no. I, don't, I think I think you see a lot of players from Scotland going to League Two, national leagues. But if you exclude the kind of top two or three, maybe Aberdeen as well. Um, yeah, I, 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 not that I watch any of it. I was about to say much. That's a lie. I watch precisely none of it. <laughs> Good. Well, um, informative as ever, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, shall we talk about some happier things? Um, the response at 2-0 down was fantastic. Um, it's exactly the sort of thing that you, we've been crying out for. And I'm not really sure where it came from, to be honest. It, it, it I mean, it didn't feel like the team was going to go in that direction. So what do you think happened on the pitch there, Jordan? Well, I think, you know, I think that was a real a, a real point of, um, you know, we, you have to take stock of what's going on. You make a decision there. Do you kind of just pass on responsibility to your teammates and, and continue the capitulation? Or do you actually kind of have a reaction and, and try and turn the thing around? Because it, it was looking bad, wasn't it? But, you know, we, we did show a real positive reaction and it was it was impressive. You know, we, we looked to dominate the game after that. Um, whilst we were quite passive beforehand, we were really getting on the ball, you know, we're dominating possession. We started to started to move things around a little bit. I thought the centre midfielders started to turn it up a gear. Um, tempo improved. They just looked like a real um, a real effort from from everyone on that pitch to to, to get us back into it. You know, it, it took the two goals happening, obviously, but the last fifteen or so minutes of that of that second half of that first half, sorry, we, we really upped that pressure. And I think that goal obviously um, gave us that kind of extra little boost we needed. And the second one came, you know, straight after. But it was important because. It, we've seen us have a little bit of a reaction before um, in a similar manner where you start to get the ball you start to kind of work it around we're going side to side we're getting it forward a little bit but if that goal doesn't come I think we always lose a bit of confidence in our in our ability to turn it into a turn those kind of moments of possession into a goal so the fact that we actually got that you know I think it gave us that little bit of extra that we needed and it, it really started to build in itself it's a shame it took that long um, but that dominance w- w- was really impressive and it, it was good to see you because there are times where we've not looked capable of um, of turning much of that into productivity and, and, and last night we actually did. Yeah, that was a rousing win in a way that you don't necessarily get if you don't have the kind of disappointment and frustration and everything that comes from going 2-0 down in the manner we did. Um, it felt quite satisfying. I thought to be honest with you, Norwich looked a bit like us in a, in a sense that they lost their way quite easily, couldn't hold on to the ball, couldn't really get a foothold in the game in much the same way we hadn't for the first 20 minutes as I say I think the loss of loss of Huang really harmed us I thought we were particularly dangerous down that left hand side as well Ken Semmer and um, Jamal Lewis I thought had a really good game actually against his, his old club got forward lots put some good balls I think he was three out of seven crosses he completed Jamal Lewis's best game so far one of certainly yeah he's he's growing I must admit I was kind of fairly down on him in the early weeks but he seems to be getting better and um, it felt like a lot of the attacks went down that left hand side and I looked it up and uh, apparently 43% um, went down the left 35 down the right it certainly felt like more than that but I'll, you know can't argue with numbers can you um, but we were really really uh, quite dangerous Ken Semmer um, completed 7 of 13 take-ons which was more than anyone had the most touches in the box attempted and won the most attacking duels and had the second most progressive runs I thought he was had a, had a really good game um, 
game for us. Obviously, Aspria gets gets the winner in the end and whatnot. But I think that's that's turning into a nice little pairing down the left hand side. And we've it's actually this is a complete accident. But one of the questions we had sort of relates to this. So I wonder if it's just worth bringing that question in at, at this stage. Um, yeah, bad. Right here we go from Vic Bait uh, at Bait Vic. What do you do when two most productive wide players, Semer Martins, can only play on the left, even if for very different reasons, one can only go down the line and the other can only cut inside? Improvement in Lewis's performances means we can't really play Semer further back. Um, it's a conundrum, isn't it? We touched on it a little bit the other week, but I just wonder what, what you guys think about, about that. How do we kind of get all the right players, on the best players on the field in the best positions at the same time, or, or, or can we not? I think you need to move Martins to the right now. But then is Aspria playing the best, kind of most consistent football we've seen from him as well? True, but that means they either have to share that role, don't they? Uh, and they're both young, so I think that kind of suits them because they can both get, you know, maybe not half a game, but 60-40. I would have given Martins maybe more time. Perhaps that's a, a poor decision for me because obviously Aspria went on to win the game. But um, I think they can both work on that right side. Yeah, see, for me, for me, I think it's a, this is this is one of the issues you have when you have the kind of inconsistent recruitment that we've had over the years. And, you know, maybe we'll start to adjust that. But the, the fact is, you know, we're in that transitional phase, whether it's, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, you, you have a left winger who is really a left-sided player. You know, we've seen him on the right-hand side a few times in the various managers it never works out he's comfortable in that left he knows the space he's working in um, he knows how to attack his attack his right back and he just looks the best there but obviously it does result in a much different sort of uh, build up sort of attack and, and sort of delivery so you know in this game I think clearly we identified or we, we felt that we had to get delivery into the box to, to Rajovic and I think you know, Martins would give you something different there, but to me, it's it it, it always is going to leave a slightly uneasy feeling to have you know one of, if not your 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 best players on the bench. You need to find ways to get him on the pitch, and I, I think the right hand side is an option. But I do think it, where he's effective is from that left hand side because he wants to get shots on goal. So, you know, it might be a situation of you might have a horses for courses situation, um, or you might just kind of have to play the hot hand a little bit. And if if one's doing well, you know the other one's going to be sitting out for a while. It's, it's really tough but I think this is just a byproduct of um, having a multitude of players that aren't all suited towards a particular style of football and a, a particular shape that we're operating in because um, they are very different options sometimes difference good uh, but in this situation I think we're we're always going to feel a little bit disappointed if one of Semmer Martins or Aspria is on the bench we're, we're looking at a more kind of shot heavy player with Martins so you maybe negate some of some of Rajovic's qualities there and I think you can still work it with with Lewis on the left I think you're still going to get crosses into the box if you just make some adjustments and I I think in an ideal world, I'd probably still have Martins in over Semmer because I think he just offers you sign different. Um, Slander. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I like Ken <laughs> Semmer. I'm, I'm a Ken Semmer fan. But in terms of this front line, I know Rajovic has been scoring, um, but overall production, you know, if I looked at that game last night and, and you told me that our, our kind of main method of attack was going to be to, to whip balls into Rajovic, I didn't really, I wouldn't have thought that his score, to be honest with you, looking at the two centre backs he's up against. And honestly, in the air, I think he struggled quite a lot against uh, against Bath and uh, and um, Hanley there at the back. Because oh sorry, it was Duffy, wasn't it? I said Hanley. Just because you know he's not, he's really good at reacting. And obviously, the, the goal, the header he scored, was kind of a reactive to a deflection, and that's where he's really he really thrives. But in terms of just headering in. <laughs> crosses from that whipped him from Ken Simmer's left you know I wasn't necessarily expecting to be overly overly proficient there but you know it, it's 
it's a tough one to answer given the the, the difference in in terms of the, the the type of player and the kind of profile of the player that we've got at our disposal on that left hand side. Given um, Ishmael's propensity for making subs, I would I would be tempted to say, you know, whatever you do, you start one way, and if it's not working or if one of them's not having a good game then that should be something that you look to change routinely because we discussed the fact, I think, recently that they all kind of prefer, or a lot of them prefer cutting inside rather than going going outside. So, you know, shake it up. Use them in, in different ways to open people up or open teams up. Or if, you know, if um, if you're not having much joy with, say, Kemma on the... Ke- Kemma? Ken Semmer on the left. Stick him on the right and make him go inside and get, you know, get, get the focus, get the emphasis on Lewis going on the outside on the left and get right. And Andrew's going on the outside. You know what I mean? Like there's there's options there, right? I think I think it's it, it's it, it can be seen either way. And I, but I would I would definitely take it as a, a strength. And you know they just need to know that they're going to have to kind of share the load a little bit as well between them. Go with the hot hand. This is kind of the conundrum of our. This is kind of the conundrum of our situation we find ourselves in, though, with the, the coach, the style of football, the recruitment, and so on. Because you know you look at the you look at the way Ismail plays and some of the strengths of the team. You, he wants to play with inverted wingers. He wants to gain the width from the fullbacks. We have two um, two fullbacks that can play quite a good advanced role. They've, they've got the mobility and they can deliver. You look at Andrews and and Lewis. I think they're set up really really well for it. You know, arguably our best two players or two of our best players. They like to cut in on the on the right for Martins on his right. Martins likes to cut in, and then Espria the same with his left. So you think, you know, you really want to utilize that. Um, that's a really good way to get at to get out the goal, get in the box and, and cause some difficulty for defenders. But we've got a striker that doesn't really suit that sort of football at the same time. You know, Rajovic is not going to be involved in the build-up. You're playing inverted wingers. You want him to be there to bring those guys into play. You know, almost what we wanted Keenan Davis to do last season. When he doesn't offer that, it kind of it, it leaves you in a difficult situation. But when he's scoring, you're not going to take him out. So you kind of have this half measure of both. Um, and it, it's a hard one because then you end up putting Ken in there to compensate but you kind of lose a little bit of balance in terms of how you're operating it's, it's very difficult to, to to really come to a proper solution but I think that is just kind of the the the, the lack of cohesion in terms of uh, building that that team do you think Martins has the ability to play as the as the striker um, instead of Rajovic I, I I think the problem well we're, we're mentioning that you know you're not keen on Rajovic uh, and you're mentioning you're trying to get Martins in and keep Semer where possible. I mean, that- yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think that it's not, it's, it's not even I'm not keen on Rajiv. I, I think he lacks some. I think his finishing ability and his instincts are a, kind of a bit of a level above the rest of his game. And, you know, you can take that. Um, Could be an option kind of a, a certain distance and he can be effectively scoring goals so I'm not going to criticise him I'm not trying to talk down on him really um, but you know Martins I think is so effective from that left I would really preference would be to keep him there you know maybe you could argue if you try to keep Aspria too you could look at Aspria in kind of more of a central position you could try Martins on the right you could look at these things but I, I think it's going to be um, a case of rotation for, for quite a while until we find some consistency there and, and maybe just find something that's, something that's working I think probably now after that game with, with the kind of um, the production we've been getting from Kem and Ken and obviously Rajovic, we're probably going to stay with that for a little while. Um, but it, it's it's one that's probably going to be like that for the whole season. I don't think we'll ever really find ourselves in a in a situation where we're completely settled and there's not some questions or some good ar- arguments made for a change. Um, 
Tom, do you think Ishmael has a better idea now of what his favoured um, eleven is? Yeah, I think so. I think to be honest with you, I think a lot of it was already probably nailed. I think it there's it's probably that midfield three that have um come into their own in the in the last few weeks. Um Jake Livermore was someone the one who didn't get a look in essentially in the first couple of months and has now become fairly indispensable, if not one of the probably one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment. Kayembe moving forwards has been a revelation. And then I think that third slot is still probably just about open. Um but at the moment it's it's definitely Ismail Kone that's Ishmael Kone that's that's winning that battle. I thought yesterday was one of his best games for us. He still had a few moments where he tried to overdo it, you know, tried to take one player on too many when he could have just laid it off got the pass wrong or or whatever but I thought in terms of carrying the ball and in terms of getting into dangerous areas getting some shots off which hasn't always been something we've seen from him obviously rewarded with his goal he was he was really good so I think that those three are kind of locked down I think we know that his preferred centre-back partnership is Porteous and who Lewis is the left back the right backs kind of alternate and then the last bits are probably nail now and evidenced by the fact we were just covering it is the the, the front line but I mean it's you know it's one of Ryovic or um, Bayo up front and the, the rest of them kind of rotate anyway so I don't think we're I don't think we're a million miles off off him knowing it no yeah well let's talk about those three then and uh, Ishmael Kone was brought into the side uh, replacing loser who didn't have his best game against Leicester City um, and as you said there Tom he seems to just be getting better and better although it still has a little mistake in him but I mean if you compare the performance of him versus loser there's only one winner at the moment isn't there yeah definitely um Kone has got a bit of thrust about him I think is the best thing is the best way I can describe it you know he wants to get on the ball and and either in advanced areas or or drive forward with it he's positive He's he is raw. I think you see that sometimes in him that he makes mistakes that a little bit someone with a bit more kind of few more games in him wouldn't make more more years in him wouldn't wouldn't make. But I think I think there's a I think there's a player there. Um, he's had to kind of do it the hard way because he you know was part of last season. He kind of got written off a little bit. But he yeah he's got a little bit of oomph about him and a little bit of drive and I like him. Um, at the moment that would be my three my three going forward I don't have a massive issue with loser like some people do but um, those are the those are the three form central midfielders Jordan what do you make of Kona he had a great game uh, for Canada recently and then he's sort of brought that form into um into the game yesterday. Yeah, no, I think this is kind of the football we want to see from Kone and the, the player we hope would see um, when we watched him in, in the MLS. You know, you, you look at the raw traits of the guy and he's, he's clearly able to carry the ball well. Um, I think the, the, the thing with Kone, he when he's playing well he always kind of looks like he's playing in rhythm and he's just like he's he's kind of can glide across the pitch at times he's got that kind of ranginess that we saw in, in Decore for a while too um, but he needs that consistency and I think too often there was maybe a little bit of hesitation and um, in his game and maybe trying to be a little bit too careful and just not playing with freedom um, not playing to kind of his instincts and I think now we're starting to see a little bit of comfort there and you know, maybe he's been given a little bit it'd be interesting to see kind of what, what Ismail has said to him in terms of how he's playing 
playing and how he's operating. So he looks to be playing more, much more like he does for Canada um, and like he did previously in, in the MLS. And he had a little bit more of a kind of a f- offensive responsibility and, and, and freedom and kind of further positions too. You know, last night he was still able to um, to carry that ball. He still played out wide quite a lot, but he was also able to get on the edge of that box. And, you know, obviously we saw the goal, but he was more influential. And I, I think we need to kind of give him that freedom to grow a little bit. Um, I think he kind of looked like a player that was was getting minutes, but not necessarily in the way that's going to help him kick on. So I'm hoping now that we start to see that because it's you know when he's on his on his day, he looks, or especially last night, which I do think was his best performance for us, he looks like an instant starter. Um, so really positive for him. Yeah, I'm pleased because he he's one that you know he he kind of started the season quite poorly, um, and obviously quite a few people were, were questioning if he was really ever going to kind of make it into that team. When you look at the the players that we had available in front, you know, like Imran Luzer for example uh, and now it kind of seems like most people probably settle on on Kone starting ahead of him around so yeah good for him really good for him yeah and um Jake Livermore he was named as Sky Sports Man of the Match yesterday Jordan how dependent are we on him now he seems like he's come from nowhere to being basically one of the first names on the team sheet which is very surprising but I mean he was basically running the show in midfield yesterday it was just really it was just fantastic to watch we haven't had a player like that for a while he's really starting to I don't know if he's just he's just fit now if he's if he's if he's got to full fitness and maybe we're seeing the best of him or, or what but um, yeah yeah I mean well I think we've really simplified that role you know it's not the same position we saw Syriata operating in it's a it's much more of a traditional defensive midfielder you know number six six has sat there to, to, to be that shield recycle possession you know just, just allow you to, to be a little bit more secure in, in, in transition and, and kind of give you that that foothold defensively so we, we've really simplified it he does that well you know we're not asking too much of him in possession we're not asking for too much tempo, too much range. Just play simple, support. Let the let the you know kind of more talented players in front of you play, um, and kind of be that insurance. And you know, I think in this sort of game, he, he gives you a lot of. Um, a lot of presence there. I think against a better team, I see him against some better teams. I'd be interested to see if he can kind of maintain that. I don't think his role will be as influential, but you know, in terms of what we've asked him to do, I think the character has really shown shown through in his recent games. Uh, you know, the intangibles and kind of using that as a justification to sign a player can can be questionable, especially if we don't you know know them ourselves personally and kind of have a read on the room you're bringing them into. Um, clearly, that was a part of of him signing, but I think. The fact that he's now to get involved and not and not just be that guy, not just be the dressing room guy, but actually have a, a tangible impact on the field has been has been really good to see. So he's getting a lot of credit right now, which is I think deservedly so. Um, it is still a position I think we have to you know obviously long, long term you've got to be looking at, at kind of options going forward, and I think it's still the role that we've got to define in the team um, or Isma has to define going forwards too. But you know in in the immediate, I think Jake Livermore's kind of taken the chance and and done everything you could really ask of him. Um, up to now. Yeah. Tom, you've been. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Any press trip, Jake? Yeah, I really have. Um, I thought he was unfairly kind of written off when we signed him just because his age and people were saying, oh, you know, West Brom didn't want him. Why should we? But I was I was reading on Twitter recently um, or listening to a podcast or something. And people were saying, you know, he's very, very well thought of at West Brom, actually. Um, uh, he's been... I think exactly what we needed in there in terms of uh, a stopgap. You know, don't want to see him in there forever because obviously he is old and he's got his limitations. But as Jordan said, in terms of that kind of simplified role, you know, he's done it. He's done it really, really well. Um, it's unlikely he'll be here next season, right? I wouldn't, wouldn't say, wouldn't rule it out. Certainly wouldn't rule it out. I think I think he's naturally fit. And I think because he came through, I'm going to look this up now in the meantime, so excuse me. I think because he came through kind of fairly late at Spurs and was kind of one of those players that was on the periphery for a while, I think you probably find that he hasn't played an insane amount of football for someone who's 34. Um, you know, he had a lot of kind of loan spells. It was only really when, when, when he went to Hull eventually on a permanent basis that he became a regular. Obviously played a lot of West Brom, but, I, you know, I bet, I'm just looking it up now, 475 career appearances so a decent amount of football but um, you know 34 he's not he's not played kind of 600 games is what I'm saying so it's only 125 games off anyway point being I think he'll probably be here next season if Ishmael is because Ishmael likes him and you need those leaders as I've said before and that will probably be written on my gravestone on my headstone Um, but he He's no frills, he's no fuss, he's not very spectacular, but he he understands the role and he does what is expected of him and you can never have too many of those players. Watford managed 21 shots uh, with nine on target, which is you know, stats that we don't see that often. Um, perhaps more likely to see it at home, but um, even then, uh, it was quite spectacular. Is that anything that we improved, that we did differently, or was it because Norwich were a weaker opposition? Um, not as weak as Rotherham, it has to be said. I mean, you know, they, they, they 
they certainly showed more than them. But did we do something differently? Yeah, I, th- um, I mean, look, we can we we do get shots. Well, I think the fact we got a few on target is a, is nice. That can obviously be our issue at times. I think you know we we still don't create a, a, as much inside the box, um, but we we are willing to take shots from outside the box. Obviously, the Kone goal was a successful version of that. But um, I, I think Norwich started to sit back quite deep. You know, um, I, I'm happy for us to kind of pepper their goal a little bit, take some opportunities, and and have a go. Look, there was a clip in. I'm not sure we saw. I can't remember where it was. If I saw it on mm. on Twitter or something, there's a clip of a little bit of the practice session during the week, and you know, Ismail's kind of preaching about getting a shot away and kind of not overplaying and just get the shot away like Ken did against Swansea. And I think you kind of see that a little bit more in the game. And you know, I talk about Kone having a little bit of freedom. I think that that kind of comes from that too. It really feels like there's been some adjustment made there with him in particular. But you know, also just kind of the, the taking a taking a chance, you know, having a go because you know mistakes happen at this level, obviously, and it, there's also kind of a, a level of chaos that comes with these shots from outside the box, deflections, and you know, even the Wesley Hoot, even the Espria winner comes with a Wesley Hoot shot from outside the outside the box, you know. Um, so I do think we are kind of being let off the hook a little bit when it comes to. Uh, to going forwards and, and giving us some more more of a license to to take risk, and I think that's needed because we we were looking we we're in danger of looking a bit too a bit too under twenty one mm. in how we played. You know, did lots of passing around, lots of control at times, but not really kind of having that 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 final kind of raising of the gear to to push on and and take a risk and actually try and try and get through and score because too often we're kind of you know just keeping it around the box and not really ha- posing much threat. So I think if you've got a striker like Rajovic too you need to find different ways to get him involved he's not going to slip in behind so if you're looking at deflections you're looking at um, you know him thriving off, off mistakes to, to to put goals away and, and that's kind of what you're looking at and you even really saw that in his goal with the, the deflection of, of the cross too so just a little bit more intent I'd say I think that for me it was twofold it was that they started making all the mistakes we were making in terms of giving the ball away and what have you and as Jordan said kind of quite deep and didn't you know, evidently we're trying to weather the storm and uh, get away, you know, hold on to the lead or get away with something. The other thing was we actually just had some shots um, from distance and I I tweeted it at the time, you know, George Long looked iffy. Um, There was a shot fairly early on from Jamal Lewis, I think. We're 2-0 down at this point, but Jamal Lewis, I'm pretty sure it was, had the shot and um, he pushed it kind of out awkwardly to Kone and Kayembe and neither of them could quite squeeze it home and then two minutes later Kone scores from kind of a, a similar sort of position or similar sort of distance I should say and I thought you know we actually kind of tried not walking the ball in the net for once we only had four shots on target inside the box despite having an XG of there's a train oh well I didn't even hear that <laughs> sorry do you not? no <laughs> Just had to shout out the train. We were talking before we started recording. The train is a, a fan favourite, so we just wanted to give the train the appropriate credit. Unless I'm just hearing things. Well, either that or my noise cancelling headphones are cancelling out external noise very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Any train confirmation there, Matt? Did you hear that? Or am I going crazy? I'm not certain. I heard the train. So. Oh my god. All right. Well, sorry to interrupt, but in editing, I want it to be. If it is there, just raise the levels a little bit. And if not, just add a train a train whistle to make sure <laughs> to make Jordan happy. Um, <laughs> sorry. That's right. We won the XG battle two point eight three to one point two one. Yet two of those goals were essentially um, kind of close range 
goals that uh you know very high value chances is what i'm trying to say which says you know we weren't maybe creating great chances but we were at least getting shots off and i just think from time to time we just need to be a little bit more adaptive to the situation and if there's a you know, if the goalkeeper's looking iffy and we've come up against a couple this season, bloody well test him and we did and we scored from it. So yeah, that was that was that was quite pleasing. Um more more of that please. Also, one just just looking kind of at some stuff from last night, Norwich's pass map is a the thing of nightmares. It's horrible. Have you seen have you looked at it? It's just like this Oh, I haven't, no. Hang on, let me just bring it up. Yeah, it's not good. So I, I think in, in terms of us getting shots away, you know, we have to not to put a damper on anything because we, we had to kind of get back into that game. But I think Norwich were, were quite bad. Um, and yeah, obviously that helped us and allowed us to, to be a little bit more aggressive. But it really interesting to see kind of if we if we take this to kind of these, these next few games we have coming up. Obviously, Hull's quite difficult in, in its own way. And yeah, you know, as you said, the, the, the fixtures don't look easy on the surface. Oh, oh wow. That's really bad, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like a. I've just I, I've just pulled it up so I could just see complete kind of U shape. They've not basically got no never completed a pass centrally from kind of thirty yards plus outside the penalty area. Never got balls into the box or anything. There's no structure. Just a proper Wagner team, isn't it? Yeah, is that how his teams play? Is it? That's fairly. If you look, if you look really close in the centre, there's a picture of Jake Livermore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> I mean, it says something when the assist yeah. for the um, the assist for the Sara goal is a pass from sort of just outside the centre circle to thirty five yards out. You know, that's not a goal you construct, is it? That's just you know, complete freak. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he'll be there much longer, particularly given they've got a new sporting director as well, who's not kind of tied to him um, in the way that Weber was. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, very, very strange. I was ter- when we were linked to Wagner a couple of years ago. I was terrified of, of this sort of thing happening. It's not ideal, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I can't, I can't see him lasting there long either. But yeah, obviously, you know, this is this is again, you know, we talk about Rotherham. We kind of dispatched quite quite easily five uh, nil. This one was a tougher one. I think Norwich have a little bit more quality in there in places, but you know, not the classic Norwich side you're thinking of playing. However, um, you know, the, the goals we did give up. This this should have been a game. We we kind of won relatively comfortable comfortably, um, so yeah. Let's let's see if we can kind of take it into a into a new environment with with Hull, which is you know in theory you're going to be a much much different opponent. Cool, nice one. Uh, I think we're going to move on to some questions now. We put a shout out for some of those. Do you want to take us through those, Tom? Yeah, we'll do. So we answered Vicks already, but from Ed J at Somerset Hornet, a lot has been said recently about Val's tactics and subs. What is your view on whether Watford are a work in progress? building a project or a team in transition chopping and changing patterns and tactics also thoughts on Porteous now I think we've kind of covered him and why are Martins and Healy not playing so essentially where are we kind of at under Ishmael at this stage and why are Martins and Healy not playing yeah I mean in terms of where we are I still think I think with with, with Ben Manga being sacked you know we kind of we're kind of moving into a into another phase of well that's kind of trying to establish what the plan is I think it's difficult to to assess I think Ismail has his ideas um, in terms of what he wants to achieve I think he's trying to mix that in with a squad that he's inherited which isn't you know necessarily built towards what he's trying to do he's trying to find that balance he's, he's made some adaptation I, I feel less confident we're in a transitional phase 
ideas for with a real plan in mind and I did at the beginning of the season we kind of started to see um, some elements of the type of style of play we were looking for and the recruitment we were kind of trying to go towards it's fallen by the wayside a bit and we feel a little bit more in the now in terms of how we've adapted our style of play um, it, 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 it remains to be seen what we'll do in, in the summer obviously or even in January to, to, to kind of correct things and, and maybe give us more of a chance this season but I'm really uncertain in, in terms of what our our long-term goals are now and, and kind of what our route or our kind of perceived route to progression is um so yeah it's really really a difficult one to to judge but it, it, I guess maybe get your guys take on that before we answer the Martins part of it or Healy I think we're on we're on a path, aren't we? It feel and it feels like we're on a path. I suppose you you're always on a path one way or another. It just might be your path to a dead end. But um, I think we've kind of had that clear out with manga going. We've had the clear out in terms of the the squad and you know reduce the age, reduce the salaries, etc. So yeah, I think I think we're a little bit of a team in transition and a little bit of a, a project. But I think he is stuck quite kind of firmly to one system and, and kind of style of play will be with some tweaks but it's not like he's kind of torn it all up and, and started again you know we've changed that kind of number six where I said wing backs oh sorry full backs aren't kind of coming inside in the same way that they were at the start of the season but that's good that's a that's a you'd rather that than kind of sticking grimly to something that just isn't working so yeah I, I feel fairly optimistic I've seen kind of some debate about whether Ismail should be under pressure should get sacked I, I don't feel that way personally at all what is he trying to achieve like what what is that route now because you know beforehand at the beginning of the season we, st- we saw you know an, an attempt to kind of you know, play a little bit more possession based football play with a little bit of a higher tempo more control incisiveness in the final third and it felt like we were you know a few positions off mm. making that tick properly there'd be some inconsistency and so on it kind of feels like now we've made that adaptation to be a little bit more a little more solid, a little more defensive, but kind of going back to the kind of more foundational standpoint, what's the progression? Do we have we is it a case of them thinking, you know what, we've tried that a little too early, we're gonna need a couple windows before we can even really go down that road? Or is it a case of okay, immediate results are the most important thing, we've got to consolidate. It might be a case of, you know, you are getting a few more draws, you might be, you know, potentially make as many chances, be able to give up less and just be a more pragmatic. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I'd certainly like to think that this is a a short term is it a short term view or is it a long term view that's what I'm struggling to to kind of assess you know I think by short term I mean probably not this season I can't see them doing enough business in January to suddenly give him the personnel that he needs to go and play the way he wanted Um, can you I, I think you know it'll be next summer and that's assuming he's still here at that point of course the the you know always the issue yeah, I just, I just kind of wondering if, the, I just kind of wondering if that, if we still have that plan in mind, yeah. we still think that's the ultimate goal is to go more towards that that style or not. Really, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm curious to see, and I think we'll be reading off the indi- indications we get. But yeah, no, definitely, and I think the inference has always been in what the club has said and, and backing him with the new contract that they kind of back him to to follow through on a, a proper plan and an identity but I guess ultimately there is always a temptation isn't there to do what's necessary to hold on to your job there's no point being the guy with the philosophy and the plan and everything if if you get kind of cut off um, mid-journey mid, mid so yeah I guess we're going to see in the next in the next couple of windows aren't we and then I guess the other part of that question was in regards to Martins and Healy wasn't it yeah um, for me I think we kind of touched on Martins I think he's been a bit unlucky recently because he's been one of our better players this season and he so, just clearly doesn't fancy him doesn't he I just I think he's not 
built to do uh, or has the kind of skill set to do the, the job that that he wants from his strikers. Why do you think that is? What what skill set does Healy have and why is that not suited to how we're playing currently? I mean, look, I don't I don't know personally because I think what what Healy does offer you is is in my mind something we have been lacking. You know, he's able to he's able to carry the ball a bit. He plays the with the, with the tempo. Um he's quite aggressive you know he'll, he'll run channels but he'll also get on the ball he'll run at the box he'll get shots away um, much different forward to what we've really we really have in, in a lot of ways can still play in that kind of slightly poacherish role but the thing is I had this kind of conversation a little bit during the week and in, in regards to to, to, to Rajovic in particular but also the you know other options we have and I, I don't think that not many modern not many teams that are successful at, at this level really play or even you know levels above play with a striker like Rajovic you know someone's just going to put the ball away um, and that's kind of the majority of their job not unless you're a team that creates a, a high level uh, consistently high level of chances per game that are good quality chances that you can you can really rely on just that one striker just to kind of finish it off because you know most of the time d- defenses defenders defenses are much better teams are much better defending and, and kind of playing through those transitions that they're able to to kind of negate those players mostly and you have to kind of look to to spread offensive threat around a little bit and you know that's where you kind of start to see more of an evolution of more attacking um, wingers that are kind of with more of a purpose of scoring rather than just supplying uh, and I think we had there you go we had it that um, time yeah had it that time I think we also have that in we have that quality in maybe not abundance, but we have a decent level of those sorts of players in those wide positions. So, you know, when you when you have those guys, you kind of think you've got two options to support them. Either you have a more traditional target man that we, we've seen Ismail use before, someone that's able to be mobile, run the channels, but also bring others into play. We don't really have that, um, but what Healy can do is he can occupy some of those positions. He can get wide, you know, he can he can draw space for for those wingers to attack, and he, he's able to to hurt teams in, in a different way. Whereas Radovich doesn't really do that. We even saw last night, you know, I think it was actually one of his better games for us um, for number nine. But I think he he still showed, you know, a couple of a couple of times he get he get the ball and kind of get caught up a little bit, or you know, he'll get a touch and he'll lay it off, and it takes him two it takes him two passes to kind of get it away out of his feet. Um, it, it's a tough one. I can't really give you a good answer as to why Healy's not being fancied at all. Fancied at all. Um, I, I go back to the recruitment a little bit. You know, this isn't a, this isn't a manga guy. It's not a Giretta guy. It's a Graham Younger guy. Is it another example of signing a player that wasn't particularly wanted by the coach or needed by the coach? I, I don't entirely know, but I, I am surprised he's not getting minutes. And you know, even after the last game against Rotherham, I thought he last home game against Rotherham I thought at least his introduction his appearance we, we got to see a little bit of what he can offer and he you know kind of came up with the assist and you know, probably should have had an opportunity to score himself so confusing and a little bit frustrating because I think we've got a decent player there it's just not being utilised at, at all I agree um, next question is that from Douglas Tom yes that's right at, uh, Douglas at Douglas underscore Watford why do you think Ishmael was so certain on having a target man poacher type striker for his system when our best wingers are inverted surely an advanced forward that can get in behind and help with the build up play would have been more suitable for what he's trying to implement kind of tags into what we were just talking about doesn't it really I think, yeah yeah I, I think 
you're talking about that kind of advanced forward role you know that's kind of what you're looking at in, in terms of Healy and I think that's a way of doing it you know you, you kind of create fluidity if you have someone that's mobile but still has pace is able to get into those positions you allow Martins to drift inside and even occupy that striker position at times same with Espria you know we've seen they've both got quality in, in, in terms of getting shots away Espria you know he still needs some refinement but even the way he took his goal last night he, he has ability to, to to be effective in those in those places in those areas and you know I think a target man can do it in a different way I think you're kind of looking at someone that can drop deep and you know how we saw you know, the way we even saw Troy Deeney do it for, for us for a while where he kind of drop into almost like a false like a target man operating in like a false nine position you come deep draw in defenders you pick up that space you almost play as a number 10 at times just to, to pick up that ball and then allow those wingers to get narrow get into those positions get between the centre back and, and the full back if not between the centre backs themselves and, and that's where you start to really find that threat and you know as, as he identifies there we have got those players at our disposal even even the likes of Tom Ince you know he's someone that can be effective in those positions too um, and, and it goes back to our discussion in, in regards to Ken Semmer's um, position on the left and are you then kind of minimising some of the threat we could pose elsewhere and it, it's a tough one but I, I, I do kind of feel that it is still this this issue that, that comes about from um, inheriting a team that's kind of a little bit half measured and not really built over a number of years to, to, to provide a certain style of play I wonder if there was an element of his sides have always had quite a big kind of target man as we know and that's what we expected and then upon getting here you know thought okay yeah that's going to work and then over time you know he has had to adapt slightly how we play and the where the wingers the side the wingers play on and so on and so forth I'm not excusing it but it, it, there's such a disconnect isn't there between the striker we signed and the way our wingers are best utilised that you, you do wonder it, it, make, it makes you wonder certainly I would be hopeful that we're looking striking options in in January still uh, maybe getting Healy off the books and using that to you know free up the cash to bring in or the salary at least to bring somebody in because we're certainly less direct than his teams have been previously in, in terms of utilising that target man you look at obviously at Barnsley even West Brom I mean that target man was there because that transition was so quick often it was back to front you know vertical football you needed that body to do that yeah oh by far well see we couldn't do it even if we wanted to could we because Ryovic is not that he might have a big body in the sense of he's long, but he's you know he's about as physically imposing as Peter Crouch, really, isn't he? Like he's not he's not that sort of Carlton Morris, you know, at Barnsley, uh, Carlin Grant at West Brom, physically strong, can back into defenders, hold the ball up. He hasn't got the technical ability. Even yesterday, you know, second touch was a tackle more often than not, wasn't it? You know, I don't I don't mean that disrespectfully because he's got that knack of he's a bit of a modern day Scott Fitzgerald almost, isn't he? Just bigger. Um, just in the right place at the right time and he puts his chances away but forget it in terms of anything else he, I think he's the perfect impact sub you know if you're if you're losing and you you need to switch how you're playing you bring Rajovic on and you start pumping balls in the box but you don't want to play with him from the start really do you not in a uh an Ishmael setup. But I just think I just I, I just question if we're you'll get production out of him in in terms of just you know turnover of goals. I, I question if we're going to be able to consistently provide him with opportunities to score um, and justify his place. But look, I mean, again, I'm not trying. To, people were enjoying the fact we've got a striker that's scoring goals. I'm not trying to put a dampener on that. I just think that if we're talking about kind of long term progression of the team, the, the striking options we have are just so. You know, I think it's a good question because they're they're, they're not necessarily kind of set up to, to support the better elements of our team um, I just don't think you see many teams that, that 
kind of top levels play um, with a striker like Rajovic and, and kind of have consistent success. So maybe we'll find a way to do it. Um, but right now it does seem it, it, we're a weird team we're a very strange team that's kind of where I put, put it down to we're, we're, we're a weirdly built um, weirdly structured team and I think Ismail's trying to make the best of it and he, I think really I get the feeling he's still trying to establish how to do so Brezovic was his man though wasn't he I mean he, that's who he chose was he said he? this is the guy that's <laughs> going to do it for me mm. Was he? I don't know though, Matt. Well, I, I mean, well, okay, we don't know that. He said it, didn't he? Oh, did he? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he, he said, yeah. Look, he's he said it, and you know, I think I think so. Well, I think he said uh, he said that he passed he passed the final, like he had a say on it, right? Like he's, but we also know that he was a he was a Giretta signing. He wasn't Manga wasn't this wasn't a, man, a Ben Manga suggested player, um, which you know initially was concerning because you know theoretically Manga and his team were in control of of. Um, you know, putting together a squad over the next few windows that that goes towards the football that the head coach is trying to play using their using their kind of their targets they had put together already, but also you know kind of you know scouting around these kind of more favourable leagues to to find these players. And you know, I, I think that it's not necessarily that he's that Ismail didn't appreciate some of the qualities he had, but I just. I'm not saying he's lying either. I just don't. I just don't know if it, it. It doesn't really fit kind of what I feel like he wants from a striker. Does that make sense? I know it sounds like I'm just disagreeing with the guy himself, but I, I just nothing in the Rajovic deal suggests to me an Ismail signing. It, it feels like it was kind of advertised, or like it kind of seems that Giretta was the one that was in control. As we know, he was a Giretta signing. No, I can go along with that. I, I don't know. I'm not overly sure on that. Does that make any sense? I feel like okay. I don't, that sentence didn't really make much sense in yeah. my mind as I'm trying to say it. But, um, you know, he, as the question was pointing out, you know, he, he's not that kind of more advanced dynamic forward. He's not a target man. He, he's a poacher. I don't, I don't know that anyone looks at this team um, and sees... Oh, okay, we're lacking just that poacher just to kind of convert on these these high quality chances we're making. I, I, I don't particularly see that personally. I think even yesterday, the goal he scores, it's a deflection on the cross isn't there which takes it away from uh, George Long takes it over his head and he's completely unmarked about a yard out on the line so you know it's a reactive instinctual finish which is what he's good at but yeah that's it it's not like it was a bullet header or anything like that you know uh, I, I don't yeah I don't want to sound like I'm digging out a bloke who does score goals but you know the history of football says that players like that that just score goals what? have been yeah kind of uh, out of fashion you know eradicated almost but certainly gone out of fashion over the years and and with good reason and yeah he just doesn't look like a, a Ishmael signing at all I have a very hard time believing that he um, you know he would have been kind of yes get him in um, probably more likely the case that they said they offered him Radjevic and you know, it was kind of him or, him or nobody so okay fine we'll do it but yeah We'll never know. I think also too, you know, if you were asked a question by the press, I think he was. I have. I'd be interested if we can try and find dig up that that line of questioning there because, you know, if you're asked by the press, who was this? And I know there was some level of questioning around that that was pretty consistent at the time. You know, it was kind of a, a question we were all curious about. Mm. It'd be pretty brutal of him to say that there were, he had no interest in the player and so on. So, I, I, I again, I think he kind of is a little bit obligated to to say he had final say on it or he he liked it and. Again, how much time does... I don't know. I'm not saying he doesn't, but how much time does Ismail have to sit down and watch Rajovic play? If he's being presented this player and he's been given 
information on him. He's been shown some footage. But is he really sitting down watching 10, 15 games of Mileta Ravic? I, I don't know. So I feel like it's, it's probably a situation of this is a deal that's been presented to him. Other factors at play in terms of is he someone we can actually get our hands yeah. on now? Oftentimes, it's not the player you like the most. It's the player you can get. So I don't know. We'll see. But I, I'm... Again, I don't think he's a perfect fit. Let's see what we can do with him. I'm curious to see um, kind of what the what the methods will be. Final question from Nick Lansing at Toast Haiku. General question for the next part: How do professional coaches and players communicate? Is English the default language? Is it the league's native language? I've always wondered how a bunch of players from across the globe can play together. I think it's a very interesting question, a very prescient for, or very pertinent, I should say, um, at Watford, where we have had for you know since the Pozzo regime started uh, quite a multicultural dressing room. I have never been in an environment that's that in a, in a football environment that is that multicultural. But I think I'm right in saying, and Jordan, obviously jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, that it kind of depends case by case, right? A lot of clubs you have, certainly in this country, you know, try and dominate with or mainly speak English, but you always get cliques that kind of speak a certain language. You might have translator that helps. Um, but I think English across kind of Europe at least or and probably wider is is also quite a popular language regardless of whether it's the, the, the native language of that country or you know, not native but a popular language in that country anyway. Yeah, I mean generally in my experience there's a lot of translation going on from players too. You know, multilingual players that are there to help with that. Um, yeah, I mean like you, you probably just by the, by the fact that it's the could be the most spoken language you know around you're going to have a lot of English being spoken there. You know, I think at Watford it's, it's fluctuated a lot there was a time where it was a lot of French you know obviously you've had some Italian at times too um, but a lot of these guys are speaking multiple languages as well um, but you know overall communication from the coach probably especially with his, his coaching staff he has you're probably going to be hearing a lot of English but I'm sure there'll be a lot of French in there too and you know, as Tom says it's very, very situational but there have been lots of times you know uh, that I've seen where it'll be players that are having to communicate to their teammates and, and, and translate for, for the coach as well. So, you know, it, it's a factor and it can be complicated and oftentimes I try and mitigate that by, you know, visual cues and, and simplifying things where they can. But, you know, if you, if you had to make an assessment or a, a judgment call based on this this current squad, I think you're probably looking at the majority in English with a, a little bit of French and so on in there as well. Did you manage to catch the video that Watford put out on um, the head coach Mike Top? No, I didn't. That might have been where I saw a clip of him telling the players to, to take shots more often. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was a clip. Yeah. I feel like, okay, it was, yeah. So um, they put that out and he was mostly speaking in English, but he also threw some French words in there as well. Um, yeah. I think the good thing about having so many coaches that have coached across Europe and, and you know, what uh, different kind of cultures and whatnot is they're all fairly quite, they're, they're certainly a lot better than English coaches in terms of being multilingual, right? You know, Gianfranco Zola, I think I'm right in saying, used to speak several languages around the training ground if needs be I think was it Alman Abdi who spoke something like six languages when he was here I certainly that was the kind of last era that I was around the training ground with any frequency uh, Marco Cesarini who was physio or head of medicine or something like that when he was here was kind of de facto translator for a lot of the Italian players and uh, Beppe Sanino when he was here because obviously that's a factor as well he was he came and could barely speak English and I can attest to that because I used to go and have to interview him at the training ground from time to time um, Daniel Poodle was translator for 
uh, Matti Vidra for Oristieri, who didn't speak Italian. Uh, so who obviously spoke Italian, but didn't speak a huge amount of English. So I think, that, you know, it's kind of horses for courses at each each club, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Walter Mazzari barely grasped the English language. But, but then Roy Hodgson spoke several languages. So, you know... That's it. Yeah, exactly. Hodgson, one of the kind of outliers in that respect in terms of being an Englishman that can uh, can be bilingual, multilingual. Certainly not. If you live for 250 years, you should be able to pick up a few languages along the way as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a great coach for us, though, but uh, seemingly still able to do it. That's us. Right, well, thanks very much for that. I think we're going to call time on that one. Uh, a bit of a longer pod this week, but then we are covering two games. And also we had a bit more to talk about in terms of celebrating. Um, so, you know, we, we always like to make the pods a bit longer if there's uh, some excitement involved. Um, tune in next week for our coverage of... He looks quickly down at his phone to see who we're actually playing at the week. All the way. Oh, away. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, a bit of a surprising one, that, actually, isn't it, Hole? No one really expected them to be up there at the minute. Um, a bit of a, review, a reunion as well with, um, with two fans. Uh, what, what do you think about Hull? Uh, it's, I mean, tough. It, it, a tough one to go to, actually. I think, you know, they've actually been fairly productive and offensively quite sound. You know, a team that... I think you look at when we played them last year and you could see kind of the embers of what they were trying to do. They've actually kind of developed quite nicely. They're, they're able to be a little bit more kind of dominant in possession, play pretty much similar shape to us, you know, 4-2-3-1. Um, got quite a lot of threat in the forward positions. Scott Twine's there, obviously, as well. He's been quite quite good. Um, Seri in midfield has also been quite good still, one that I hope we were kind of maybe into um, a little while ago, but never quite really picked up but they've got some interesting players that they put together quite a nice little squad and I think if you look at that that's that starting 11 maybe lack a little bit in depth but they, they've they've got something kind of quite interesting going there so um yeah I mean they had a few a few signs obviously Vinegar as well that came in Jack Greaves like all these guys that are starting to pick up a little bit of form and, and they put it together quite nicely so quite impressed with with Hull and I'm curious to see how we we come up against them well a Watford victory would mean we'd only be three points away from them which is uh quite incredible considering the start of the season we've had but um yeah good stuff let's see if we can pick up those points and, and continue the uh the run that we've restarted for ourselves that's it then uh just a few uh things to to say before we finish and that is if you wanted to um give us a review please head along to uh, itunes uh find us there go down to the bottom and give us a uh a rating out of five we'd very much appreciate it really helps with the statistics to get more botford fans along following us and and finding us uh and then uh, also a big thanks to everyone that follows us on patreon as well um really appreciated thank you very much for doing so if you want to join them you can find us on patreon what for buzz podcast uh and then on twitter give us a follow at what for pod at messi messiano at tb Bidell, at jordan weimer and we'll be more than happy to uh chat all things yellow black and red with you and there's the train train signing off we've we've, we've mentioned it a few times today uh and that was a nice little way to finish yeah great one for train fans all, all right, right catch you next time we've been the what for buzz we'll see you next time bye-bye
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.